increasing the tax by $2 a pack will uh, further encourage people to stop smoking cigarettes and also other tobacco products. It's almost kind of doubly regressive, which maybe if you're figuring out a way to fund healthcare for lower income households, that's not the way you would ideally want to do it. Welcome back to Upvote California, a podcast for California voters. This episode is part of our 2016 California Proposition Series, where we focus on each proposition on the ballot and bring on experts to discuss both sides of the issue. I'm your host, Brian Atwood. Today's episode is about Proposition 56, the Tobacco Tax Increase Initiative, which would increase the tax on cigarettes and other tobacco products like e-cigarettes by $2 a pack. We're running down to the wire here on the program with elections coming up soon, so this episode is a little bit different. Instead of bringing on outside experts from each campaign, we're going to have an internal discussion with members from the team. Today, Scott Lyons and Rebecca Benassini from the Upvote California team are going to each pick a side and discuss the pros and cons with us. But before we turn to that discussion, we start each episode with a brief summary and some key facts. California currently has an $0.87 excise tax per pack of cigarettes, in addition to the federal tax of $1.01. Prop 56 would add an additional $2 per pack of cigarettes and extend this tax to other tobacco products like e-cigarettes, which currently don't fall under the tax. These taxes would be allocated to Medi-Cal, tobacco-related diseases, and tobacco use prevention. Supporters say vote yes, since the taxes would pay for reductions in tobacco-related health and social problems. Opponents say vote no, since not enough of the tax revenue goes towards treating tobacco-related illnesses and tobacco prevention programs. Our interviews today are pretty detailed and have a lot of great facts, so I'm just going to give a a very brief intro to some of the facts, and then we're going to dive right in with our interviews. Uh, The state estimates this is going to generate about $1 to $1.4 billion per year once you take in the uh, decrease in number of smokers due to the higher price uh, to consumers. These taxes are going to be carved up in lots of different ways. Um, It's going to go to replace revenues lost from the existing tobacco taxes as smoking has kind of decreased. Um, It's going towards enforcement of existing tobacco laws, uh, the state dental program for treating dental disease it goes towards Medi-Cal, uh, California's health care for low-income citizens, tobacco prevention programs, tobacco-related research programs at the University of California, and administrative costs. So if you're interested in the precise breakdown of how these, uh, this billion dollars is going to be spent, I recommend you take a look at the voter guide. It has a pretty good summary of what the estimates are. Um, some other effects that they, they mention is that in the long term, California is going to be spending less on tobacco-related health problems as smoking Uh, continues to decrease with this new tax. Um, So supporters are estimating that California spends about $3.58 billion per year due to tobacco, and they estimate as fewer people smoke that that price or that cost is going to come down. Let's take a quick look at campaign finance. About $35 million has been raised in support of Prop 56 from several healthcare-related PACs, with the largest donations coming from billionaire Tom Steyer and California Hospitals Committee on the Issues. And in opposition, about $71 million has been raised, so about double the amount, with the largest donations coming from tobacco companies, Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds. Let's turn over now to our interview with Scott and Becca. 
So joining me on Upvote California today is one of our internal advisors, Scott Lyons. Scott is going to represent the yes position today. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. It's great to be here, Brian. And also joining us is another advisor of us is uh, Rebecca Benassini. Rebecca is going to take the no side. Thanks for joining, Becca. Thanks for inviting me, Brian. Uh, I want to just start off by, uh, Scott, since you're taking the yes side today, if you can just give us a brief introduction to Prop 56 and what the main arguments are on why Californians should support this. Yeah, so Prop 56 is a a ballot measure uh, on on the November ballot. It would add $2 a pack in excise tax uh, for every pack of cigarettes in the state of California. And it would also extend... Um, excise taxes to other tobacco products like e-cigarettes, which currently uh, are not subject to the same taxes that traditional um, traditional cigarettes are. Um, there's a couple of reasons why this is uh, being pushed at this time. Over the last couple of decades, we've seen significant decreases in the smoking rate uh, amongst Californians. Today, there's about the estimate is that around 12% of Californians are smokers, but the that decrease has stalled over the past few years. And so uh, public health officials are increasingly concerned that they aren't able to push that rate down any further. This tax um, and taxes in general on things we don't like, people don't like paying taxes, and when they're taxed more, they, ch- they change their behavior. So increasing the tax by $2 a pack will uh, further encourage people to stop smoking cigarettes and also other tobacco products. And to sort of further that goal as well, we take, the the measure will take the revenues generated uh, by this tax and direct them to uh, uh, several sources. You've seen in the language that there are several sources uh, to which we, we allocate the money. But the first thing we do is we alloc- right off the top, the very first allocation is to tobacco prevention programs. Those are funded by the current excise tax, which is 87 cents. This measure would raise the tax to $2.87. But as people over the past couple of decades have stopped smoking, the revenue available under the current excise tax has decreased. And so our prevention programs our education programs around tobacco prevention, uh, the funding for those has also decreased. I think we'll probably talk a little bit more about some of the constraints around funding at the state level in general, but particular to this program, as those revenues have decreased, as people have stopped smoking, the, the, the current program has worked, uh, but it means that the, the programs are now funded at a lower level than they should be. So the very first thing that this measure does is it tops up the funding on those prevention programs. And so I think that that's the core takeaway from this ballot measure is it raises the tax. That alone will discourage cigarette consumption, but it also tops up the prevention programs and education programs uh, in order to further decrease cigarette consumption. Okay. And I think the estimates are something like $1 billion or $1.4 billion in revenue a year. Um, just in general, there's the top up, but um, in general, where are these these new tax revenues going towards? Um, I think we're going to get into this in a little bit more detail later, but just maybe what are the, what is it generally going towards? 
Yeah, the, the measure uh, goes into pretty great detail. The, the, and as I said, the very first alloc- the, the very first allocation, well, let me take a step back. Uh, there are, I believe in the measure, there are four buckets that are created to allocate the revenues uh, generated. The first bucket tops up the existing education and prevention programs. Um, the current excise tax generates uh, something like $800 million a year uh, of which about a third, I think 260 million a year, goes to um, cigarette prevention programs. That's that was Prop 99 that established that back in 1988. So it's been uh, almost 30 years. That money um, has decreased significantly and will almost double. Mm-hmm. 56. So we'll be we'll be almost doubling the amount of money going into prevention programs. Um, the second bucket, we have to set aside a certain amount of money for administrative costs. So there's a bucket that goes to the Board of Equalization, whose job it will be to make sure that we've topped up the education programs appropriately and administered the rest of it. Um, there are a couple of sort of targeted programs where some of the revenue will go to medical schools and to doctor training. Um, I think there's also a dental training uh, bit that those are relatively small buckets. And then the, the, the bulk of the money, the remainder of the money, the bulk of the remainder, I should say, goes to Medi-Cal. And Medi-Cal is the California version of Medicaid. It's the low-income health insurance program, the program that provides health care to low-income individuals and families. And um, the, S, the, LA, the LAO, the Legislative Analyst's Office, estimates that something like a billion dollars, um, and of course there's some uncertainty about how much revenue will exactly be generated, but something like a billion dollars will go to Medi-Cal. Okay. And there there are some reasons why that makes sense that we can get into, but those are sort of the four general buckets. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to kind of highlight, um, where, how much money is being raised and kind of where it goes. And it's, 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 there's a lot of different sources. It's not like it just goes into the big the big pot. It's, it's kind of all allocated towards tobacco-related issues. Okay, um, thanks for that intro. Um, Becca, do you want to kind of present the, the counter-arguments about why you think Californians should oppose this, this new tax? Yeah, and that was a great kind of overview. Scott, you did a lot of heavy lifting there. Just a couple other clarifications. I would say, just to give a little context, the California total budget is $170 billion dollars. So we're talking about $1 billion. It's just kind of nice to have that context of how big this mm-hmm. tax will be. Um, and I wouldn't say that – I would kind of just say that <clears throat> I think it's more than 80% of the funds are anticipated to go to Medi-Cal. So it is interesting uh, that this is kind of targeted towards tobacco, but the money would really be used for healthcare in general um, for lower-income households that qualify for Medi-Cal. So that's another thing to just remember. So in approaching um, this proposition, it's it, – I mean, it has a lot of really admirable goals. Um, I think sort of the key negative arguments against the proposition are first that the revenue allocation that Scott described earlier would be enshrined in the California Constitution. So the the allocation is quite specific. Um, Like I mentioned, 82 percent is allocated towards Medi-Cal after all these other services are kind of topped up, these other tobacco-related prevention programs and educational programs. 
So it's a pretty specific funding allocation, and that's enshrined in the California Constitution. And no matter what kind of happens in the future in terms of what our funding needs are, so that's something that I think um, is an argument against. Another one is that the uh, way the proposition is written, <laughs> the money is exempted from sort of a, a pretty important proposition in California, which is Proposition 98, which requires that 40% of all revenue that goes to the state of California goes to education. So uh, the funders understood, or, or the, the folks who wrote the proposition understood that that's a large chunk that would go straight to education, and they wanted to make sure that these revenues really did go towards tobacco prevention or healthcare. So the language exempts the proposition from that 40% funding requirement. And the kind of last item that, that if you're kind of a budget geek and you care about how taxes are applied is that this tax is almost doubly regressive. Um, it's, it's a flat tax. It doesn't vary by income, of course. And California smokers are more and more lower income. Uh, the, the smoking rate has gone down significantly, but still among lower income households or members of those households, that's sort of where the higher smoking rates are. So it's almost kind of doubly regressive, which maybe if you're figuring out a way to fund healthcare for lower income households, that's not the way you would ideally want to do it. So you're kind of saying it's, it's taxing the people that can sort of least afford it. Yes, exactly. Right. Um, yeah, I wanted to kind of talk about the the, the second point you made about um, the school funding because I know the opponents say that um, this tax is getting around the six hundred million dollars that normally goes to schools. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit more about that? Um, is that is that the should we be funneling these tax revenues to schools, or should like we do as the supporters say and say, no, this is all coming from the the smokers that needs to go towards smoking related issues. Yeah, I think I think both of those are actually valuable arguments. It's just interesting that we as a state have kind of already decided previously in Prop 98 that, you know, as our revenues grow, at least four out of every $10 is going to be spent on education. So this would be an additional $1 billion in the state budget uh, that would none of which would be allocated towards, you know, our K-12 educational system. Mm hmm. So I think that it, it is a significant deviation from how we are spending our general fund dollars. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I see. And and Brian, I, I if I can hop in for a minute, I, I, I would I would I would argue um, that the Prop ninety eight exemption that's built into this ballot measure is uh, is clearly a feature that. Uh, that the that the writers put in and ha and put some thought into. I, I don't think this was put in uh, willy nilly. Um, for those who don't know, Prop ninety eight. I think R Rebecca referenced it. Prop ninety eight was a was a ballot measure that requires forty percent of all state revenues to go into education. There are many many exemptions and adjustments and variations to it. It's an extremely complex topic. Um, this would be another example of that. I'll, I'll freely admit, though I'm taking the yes side today. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a principle in public policy that's worth mentioning here, which is that if you're going to raise revenue in a targeted manner, 
you should spend that revenue also in a targeted manner. If you're going to raise revenue in a general manner, like a property tax or a sales tax, you should spend that revenue in a general manner. So here's a case where we're we're raising money, smokers. Um, Rebecca's right; it is a regressive tax. We, the framers of the measure, were certainly sensitive to that and s- looked to find ways to mitigate that. And the ways that you mitigate that, the fact that you're targeting it at specific population, and in some cases, as mentioned, a low-income population, you find a way to spend that revenue back again on the same group of people to provide benefits to them in some way that help offset the fact that they're this extra money, paying all this extra money in, in taxes. You could think of it, there's a similar argument in climate change politics, that if you uh, target a tax on carbon, the revenues that you gain should be spent on finding ways to reduce carbon consumption. It's sort of similar to that. We're targeting our revenues on the backs of smokers. Let's now spend that money on tobacco prevention and and education programs, as, as we mentioned. But we can't just refund the money to the smokers or that would sort of <laughs> that would sort of defeat the purpose. So let's do the next best thing and and funnel the money into into low income public health programs and the biggest low income public health program in California is Medi-Cal. So that's sort of the the argument behind that. If we face the prop 98 requirement, we would be taking 40% of the money and funneling it into public education. Now that's a worthy goal. I think almost everyone who supports position would agree that education should be funded. Um, but there is, it's not clear that, that um, this targeted revenue should be spent on general topics. And so the, I think the framers put in this exemption in order to leave the revenue targeted back to sort of low income and, and to, to, to mitigate that double regression problem that Rebecca mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. So you're saying it's, 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 that's, that's an, an argument against it, but it was very specifically and thoughtfully put in there from the, from the supporting side for those reasons you mentioned. Right. Yeah. Um, Becca, what, what are your thoughts about that one? I agree that that's what, that's the way it was written. And that actually is a really smart way to mitigate that problem. Um, it is interesting that it, it, I think it kind of shows how successful we've been in uh, smoking cessation programs, that much of this tax revenue will actually go to more general health care for low-income households in California, which is something that is in dire need of more funding. I think some of the stats you'll read about are just the the, the weights that people on Medi-Cal have to get health care because the reimbursement rates are so low. Um, for doctors who participate in the program. So I know that definitely the aim of this proposition is that there is a very needy program in California, and this is one way to get money to them. I think that I think if you're going to oppose the proposition, you're you're really thinking, is this the way that, you know, do we tax cigar- packs of cigarettes and e-cigarettes? We use that money for kind of general health care for lower-income households. And it's just sort of a almost... Um, 
what's the way you would say it? Like sort of a, a, a worldview. Like, is that the right way that we want right. to use our taxes or do we want to use more general taxes right. for that sort of thing? And I think the opponents actually make the argument in the in the voter guide that, you know, the proposition is written in such a way that all this extra, this billion dollars is being spent on smoking-related health issues. But it's actually written mm-hmm. like you guys have been talking about where a big chunk of it kind of just goes into, into Medi-Cal. And then the opponents are saying, well... Um, you know, that's not really smoking related. So it's not fair that the smoky, that the smokers are paying for that. Um, is that, am I reading that correctly? Is that kind of that position? Is that, I, it's a little yeah, th- that's how I would summarize it. I think that's correct, that there is a very needy program that which is generally all Medi-Cal uh, recipients need more resources. And that this is um, kind of an easy thing to tax, a relatively easy thing to tax mm-hmm. because it affects such a small population in California, you know, whatever it is, like 15% of people smoke in California. And we can take that money and put it into a very worthy program. Um, but I don't, I, I think that it's correct that you shouldn't say that much of that money is going to smoking cessation. A lot of it will go to just general health care, which is a worthy goal as well. Yeah. But I, yeah, I guess opponents would say it's it, that's not made clear on the on the ballot measure. It's it seems like it's going to smoking related issues, but it's it's really not. And in fact, I they'll they'll yeah. even further the argument and say that it's a tax grab from the insurance companies. Um, I, I think that's along the same lines. They're saying that, you know, this money goes to these insurance companies and they could use it to pay higher salaries for their officers. And there's no accountability. Can you kind of um, can you both kind of talk about that position a little bit? I, I find the insurance company argument very hard. Um, I'm taking the yes position today, but even in, as a just an analytic position, I find that position very difficult to um, understand. The, the, the money's not going to insurance companies. The money, the bulk of the money is going to Medi-Cal, and Medi-Cal is itself acting like an insurance provider to low-income people. So the the medical expenses would go to hospitals and doctors and drugs and programs and nursing programs. Um, I, I'm not sure where that insurance company argument came from. Uh, I think PolitiFact and others have looked at it in some detail and found it to be uh, one of these, you know, pants on fire kind of <laughs> kind of positions. I don't know, Rebecca, in your research, if you've found anything that supports that that argument but i certainly have difficulty comprehending i yeah i i it's just an effective bumper sticker i found the same thing that if you kind of dig down into that um it it is a very effective no argument that this is just going to enrich insurance providers but the money goes to medi-cal medi-cal is the insurer they have found and politifact says the same thing that this is just not truth and advertising. Um, Maybe they're saying that Medi-Cal is an insurance company, uh, so to speak, and, and, you know, we shouldn't be funding that. You know, maybe there's some people, there's probably a lot of people out there that say there shouldn't be, you know, state-funded health care. And maybe that's what they're trying to say, is that this money shouldn't go to state-sponsored health care, maybe? Yeah, that's, I think, I think that's, that is a way to phrase it, that the bulk of this money is going to Medi-Cal. This is a public insurance program and how what kind of oversight do we really have if anybody who is lower income and doesn't have access to the private insurance market, their only choice is Medi-Cal. And so they must choose that and this proposition goes to Medi-Cal, which could 
increase reimbursement rates and potentially be used for more administration. Um, so that is definitely, I think, that the argument that the, the no side is going with. Mm-hmm. So I kind of want to be respectful of your time and, and start wrapping up and maybe just ask one final question. Um, is there anything that's not in the voter information guide that you think the, the people on the no side really want people to, to know? Um, is, there any, is there any strong reasons why um, Californians shouldn't vote for this, this measure? Yeah, I think one that's really hard to discern in voter pamphlets is just sort of the Frankenstein nature of the California budget and how we as voters are asked to pass all of these various taxes that almost always have very worthy goals in mind. And as you get down to doing all of these things, we're constantly allocating little tiny snippets of our budget to this or that um, problem, which is very current for whatever you were voting in it or on it. But then 10 years from now, we have all of these other needs and we have all of these funding streams that are dedicated to this or that. So I really think that's the part of the voter pamphlet. You don't you wouldn't read unless you have been voting for a long time and you start to think back like, hey, I just voted on Prop 10 and Prop 10 did this for this funding source. And now I have this sort of additional tax on top that goes to another specific funding source. So I think that's the part that makes this proposition the most problematic is that it's another big tax or another tax on cigarettes. And it's just allocated in very specific ways that are current for today. But 10 or 20 years from now, we might want those taxes to go in another direction. And then we have another vote, which is why our ballot ends up having 20 propositions <laughs> every four years. Right. Well, what happens if, if we want to change it? Is that something the legislature can change or do we need no. to have another proposition? Yeah. So, so if we want to change it, we have to come back to the voters. And that's Part of the reason the voters vote on everything in California is that once we put something in place um, via the ballot box, it has to come back to the ballot box. Okay. Uh, Scott, anything you want to say to, to wrap up? I I would um, – I'm taking the yes position. I, I, I would just say that we've made great strides um, in addressing the public health problem of smoking – in this country. And this ballot measure sort of addresses some of the deficiencies in the programs we have in California and um, pushes us forward to the next level to, to continue to make progress. Uh, full disclosure, I actually have already voted and I voted no on this measure. <laughs> I, But not for probably any of the reasons that the uh, uh, opposition have cited the sort of range of anti-tax arguments I, I don't find particularly compelling, but I do find the arguments that Rebecca makes about um, the dysfunction in the state budget system uh, to be pretty compelling. And, and this kind of proposition just exacerbates those problems, regardless of how worthy the underlying goals are. And so I think we put the voters in a really difficult position Every time we have one of these, because you look at it and on its measure, on, on the face of it, I would say, this sounds like a great, of course, I want to reduce smoking and and address public health issues more generally. Um, but in the aggregate, as we pass these over and over and over again, uh, we end up with a really complicated, messy system. And we've really stripped the legislature of much of any flexibility in moving revenue from one program to another or 
um, these measures over time really, really lock in place the, mm-hmm. the budget structure. That's interesting. And so um, I, you know, just personally, I, I find these measures to be really distasteful from that perspective, even though I might agree with a lot of the underlying yeah. So you, maybe your opinion is that this is a worthy goal, but it should be it should come from legislature and, and they should make it so that they can change things later on. And, and maybe the allocation's a little bit clearer, things like that. But is that a, a solution? Could they, if this fails, for example, could they take this up later and, and pass? Well, it? That, and that's a good point. That, that's a that's a good argument in favor of this proposition, because um, tax measures in the legislature require a two thirds vote. Mm hmm. Uh, which is extremely hard to get. It's really hard to get two-thirds of the legislature to vote for a tax. Most of the Democrats support uh, would support a tax like this, but not all, um, and most of the Republicans would oppose it. And as you know, the legislature is right on the edge of right. being two-thirds Democratic. So getting that last senator or, or last couple of assembly members to vote for it is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons why to see funding increased for these kinds of programs have given up on the legislature and why we're seeing these kinds of measures every election. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easier to spend a couple million dollars and get half a million signatures and put this thing on the ballot where you only need 50% of the voters. And if you have a worthy program and you phrase it in worthy language, you can get 50%. Um, but it's very, very difficult to get it done in the legislature. Yeah, so I see. It's a bit you of could a, go either way. D- a double-edged sword. Yeah, Rebecca, do you have any final thoughts on that? Well, I think it was interesting right at the end that Scott kind of flipped to the other side. So I think I want to do sort of the same thing, which is if kind of if you're on the fence, um, one reason to vote yes that we haven't talked about that much is what's the alternative. Um, we have this on the, on the ballot. Could the legislature have gone through the process of not going to the voters with a tax increase? They definitely could have. Um, the legislature requires a two thirds vote to raise any taxes. And typically that vote in the past, I think has pretty much gone on party lines. And it just turns out that there are a lot of Democrats in California and state legislature, but there typically are not two thirds of them. And, uh, the legislature just over time has had a really tough time passing any taxes. They, they tend to increase fees, um, but this would not qualify as a fee. This would definitely be a tax. So I think if you're on the fence about how to vote, you just kind of have to think about, is this revenue that we need? And perhaps in practical reality, while maybe we don't want to go to the ballot box every time we need new taxes, it might just be the reality in California, which is you you have to go to the ballot box to increase taxes and of uh, we'll kind of do it any way we can, even if we end up with what I referred to earlier as the Frankenstein budget system. Um, it might be the only way to get things done in this state. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, guys, uh, this has been fantastic. I, I really appreciate uh, your time this late evening after after the kiddos are in bed and on all that. Um, I want to reiterate to the listeners that Scott and Becca are, are have not. Well, I guess Scott actually did take an op- a, official position at the end there, but um, you know they're not officially endorsing it either way. But I really appreciate you guys both uh, representing both sides. That was that was really great. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you. Thank you. 
That wraps up our program today on Proposition 56. We want to thank you for listening. This is likely due to be our last episode. We're running really short on time. Unfortunately, we didn't get to all the propositions. Um, I think we're planning on keeping this going, though. So please follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Upvote Podcast or on our website, UpvoteCalifornia.com. We're going to do some reviews after the election's over and then ongoing throughout the year. We'd love to start talking about how these propositions are affecting us and are they living up to the promises that, that were put out there. So please follow us. Send us your comments. We'd love to stay in touch. Thanks for listening. See you at the polls.